When we, as human beings, try to find meaning, try to find meaning in work or things that we enjoy or uh, various different activities or things that we get involved in apart from God, we pursue these things on our, you know, we pursue these things apart from God without anything to do with God, just something we're pursuing on our own, we will find it meaningless. We will find it empty. We will find it uh, dead. We will, we will be unable to find uh, true meaning and significance and life in and satisfaction in uh, those pursuits. But many of us, even though we're Christians, we spend so much of our time not not oriented to God at all, not thinking about God at all, but instead pursuing this career path um, for ourselves, pursuing a career path uh, because we want to pursue it. And it has nothing to do with God. It's just what we want to achieve. It's what we want to do. It's what we want. Pursuing this thing that we enjoy because we enjoy it. It has nothing to do with God. And we, we divide up our lives and make many parts of our lives have nothing to do with God. And we're trying, many of us, instead of trying to find meaning in God, we are trying to find meaning everywhere but God. We're trying to find meaning in this pursuit or this pursuit. I'm going to be a, a person whose life has some kind of significance and meaning if I can do this, if I can be involved in this. My heart wants this. If I can achieve this, if I can do this. And Ecclesiastes is trying to show us um, that this is not the case, that we will find that again and again, we will find these things empty. And the, the, the word that you find in the King James, the ESV, uh, the, the New American Standard is vanity. It's vanity. And the word behind it, uh, the word behind it in Hebrew actually meant something like smoke, like vapor, like all these things, when, it, when they're separated from God, when they are things that we're pursuing on our own, when we're pursuing on our own, they are nothing but smoke. They're nothing but vapor. There's nothing to them. They will, they will disappear in a moment, and there's nothing substantial there. There's no real lasting meaning, lasting significance in these things. Now, when God is brought into the picture, then you can find meaning in, in our daily activities. That's where we're going to go today. But many of us just live so much. Obviously, our, our unbelieving friends and unbelieving family and unbelieving uh, neighbors, um, they're all living this way without any... Without any um, uh, life connected to God himself, and so they're pursuing things that they are ultimately going to find dead and empty and meaningless. But we as Christians, we sometimes fall into this as well. We push God off to Sunday morning and to quiet time, and the rest of life is making something of myself, doing something that has some kind of importance and significance because I'm this or that, or, I, or I'm involved in this or involved. Listen to Ecclesiastes 2. I thought in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. He's still thinking about what he's doing, um, being careful, thinking, thinking it through while he's pursuing this pleasure and pursuing folly. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I made gardens 
and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man." I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I was still thinking about what I was doing and thinking about, was there anything in this? Was there anything, uh, any meaning in this? I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve... Everything was meaningless. Everything was vanity. Everything was smoke or vapor. A chasing after the wind. I was spending all this effort, all this time chasing wind, chasing smoke. There was nothing. When I got to it, finally, it was nothing but smoke. There was nothing substantial to it, nothing, no meaning to it. Nothing was gained under the sun. Nothing was gained under the sun. There was no profit in it, no gain in it, no real lasting gain or profit in it. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly. And by this wisdom, he's not meaning God's truth and the gospel and all that. By wisdom here, he's meaning uh, the practical truth of understanding the way life works and what is, what is the uh, more intelligent way to go about things and, and, and learning things that we need to know in this life, that kind of wisdom, um, the practical wisdom um, and prudence and all that. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? Everything that I've learned, all these uh, proverbs that I've studied, all this information that I have gained and all the study that I've done, what have I gained by any of it in reality? And I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind, all this work that we have to do in this life. I hated all the things that I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. I'll just turn all this over to somebody else when I die. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. And this too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. And even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. 
Ecclesiastes 2. Good stuff, right? The Word of God. The Word of God. It's the Word of God about the way so many of our friends and family and maybe some of us are spending our lives in emptiness, in meaningless activity, running after all sorts of stuff that is never going to be uh, what will really give our lives meaning, what will really give our lives eternal significance and importance. And what I want to teach you this morning, I want to, take, I want to, I want to do something where I use Ecclesiastes, although we could go right into Ecclesiastes. I, I want to connect the Old and New Testament. Um, and I want to use an answer to some of this from Philippians chapter 1. Just not the whole chapter, but just a few verses from Philippians chapter 1. But I want to say this before I do. You can't make meaning on your own. You can't make your life meaningful. You can't make meaning and significance on your own. You must look to what God is doing. You must connect yourself with what God is is doing. You must look to what God is doing. And that's what the gospel message is. We've said many times, the gospel message is, this is what God has done. This is what God is doing. And this is what God will do. And that's where you find meaning. What is God doing in the world? What is he up to? What is, what is the Messiah up to? What is the, the one that God sent the Messiah? What is he doing in the world? What will he do and, 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 and what is he doing now and what will he do? And this is where we find you can't make meaning on your own by my heart enjoys this and I'm going to pursue this and just pour myself into it and I'm going to find meaning in that. But you're not disconnected from God. You're not going to find meaning now connected to God. We're going to see that these different various activities can have meaning, but only if you're connected to what God is doing and understand what God is doing. Gee, and one other thought before I get, we'll give, you, give you two points this morning. Um, Jesus is working in the world right now. Right now. In this, in this world, this, all through this world, in, in every corner of the globe, Jesus is working in the world. And what, G, and, 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 and what Jesus is doing has eternal meaning. The eternal Messiah, the eternal Son of God, the, one, the, the, the Son of the Father, the, 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 uh, the eternal God, is what he is doing in the world has meaning. What he is doing in the world has significance. What he is up to in the world has meaning and, and has eternal weight and glory and power to it. And it's something that we need to understand. What is it that Jesus is doing in the world? What is it that he's involved in? So my first point this morning is this. And I'm speaking to Christians. I'm speaking to saints. Philippians chapter 1, which we're going to look at, is written to saints. And saints does not mean um, uh, the common definition of saint or uh, the Catholic definition of saint. Saint means someone who is, well, the simplest way we could put it is someone who has the grace of God. Someone who has been shown the grace of God. Someone who's been forgiven of their sins. That's a saint. Someone who's been set apart for God. Uh, by God's grace and by the work of Jesus Christ. So I'm speaking to saints right now, and I want you to understand this. The, my first point is this. Jesus is working. I said Jesus is working in the world, but this is my first point. Jesus is working in your life. Jesus is working in your life, and his work has eternal meaning. Now, this, so this is where we go to find him. What is Jesus? Jesus is working in my life. What are you talking about? Where, where is that taught? What does that mean? 
what is it that Jesus is doing? Look, look, at, your, look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians ch- chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who, and he's speaking to saints, remember, he's speaking to Christians, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And then he says, until the day of Jesus Christ, which is his second coming. But he's saying, he who began a good work in you. So he's saying to every single, he's saying to the Christians uh, in Philippi, but this is something true for every single Christian. God has begun, the Lord Jesus Christ has begun a good work in you. He's begun a good work in you. And this is where you're going to, to figure this out and understand what God is doing, what his eternal work is, and it's a work he's doing in you. Do you believe this? Do you understand this? Do you recognize this? As Paul recognized it about the Philippians, God's at work in you. God has already begun a good work in you, and he's going to continue that work. Uh, he's going to continue that work, uh, carry it on to completion. Um, in verse 11, look at verse 11, two verses I want to show you here about this. Verse 11, he, say, he says to them that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So he's saying that Jesus Christ, it comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is doing a work in you. Jesus Christ is filling you up with the fruit of righteousness, with the fruit of righteousness, okay? So what is this work? What is this work? This is what I'm going to break this point down into two, two ideas here. Jesus is working in your life. Two ideas about this. What is this work? The first, part, the first thing is that Jesus is growing love in you. Jesus is growing love in you. Love for God. And every time you talk about love for God, if I ever talk about love for God, understand, I'm not saying love for God, that's very different from love for people. You understand, I've said this a thousand times, but if you ever talk about love for God, love for God always includes love for people. So if you just talk about love for God, you're also talking about love for people. True love from God, a, a, God, a, a love that God works in us, okay? So Jesus is teaching you, I mean, sorry, Jesus is growing love in you. Look at verse 9. Paul says, this is my prayer. I, Paul's prayers are fantastic in the epistles. You know that I get excited about them every time I preach them. And this one is verses 9 through 11 is one of his prayers. And uh, this is what his prayer says. This is my prayer that your love, he's saying you already have love because Jesus has already grown, has already put a love in you. He's worked a love in you. You already have the love of God within you. You already have that, and I'm praying that your love may abound, may grow more and more. That love may continue to grow, continue to increase more and more and abound. This is the work that Jesus is doing. We say Jesus has begun a work, and he will carry it on. The work that he has begun and that he is carrying on is growing love in you. And we pray for, whenever we're told to pray in the scriptures, we're always being told to pray for things, um, you know, frequently we're being told to pray for things that are promised to us, things that are, that, are, that are promised. And so here he's praying for something, but he's praying for something that he knows that God is doing. He knows that Jesus is doing this work in us. Um, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So Jesus is growing love in you. The work that he is doing is he's growing in you, is he's growing love in you. And the second part of it is Jesus is teaching you how to love. So he's put a love in you, and, in, 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 and he's growing that love, a love for God, which includes love for people, and he's teaching you how to love. He's giving you instruction and wisdom from the Word and the Spirit and how to love. You see this in verse 9 as well. 
Uh, notice he says that your love may abound more and more. And then he says, in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. You know what that means? He's saying, you're, I want your love, to, I'm praying that your love will grow and grow and grow. The love you have for God will grow and grow and grow. Um, and I'm praying that it will have knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. In other words, you may be able to, um, Jesus is teaching you how to love. He's teaching you how to love. He's saying, when you discern what is best is, um, that idea is we got many different choices before us. We can, I can do this, or I can do this, or I can do this, or I can do this. But to discern what is best is to discern in, in these circumstances what is love. What is the thing that is love for God? What is the action here? What is the thing that I'm doing here that is actually love for God? What is the thing that is best? What is the thing that is excellent here? It's the thing that is love for God. And so the word is teaching us. We have the love within us, but he also needs to clarify for us through his word and teach us uh, through his spirit and word what it is that love actually looks like. We have to learn what love is. We have to learn what it looks like in all the circumstances. And as we go through life and we face different situations, we have to get wiser in and more knowledgeable in and have more discernment And what is best here. In other words, what is the loving thing here? What is the thing that would love God here? What is the thing that would love uh, uh, people in God's name? Uh, what is the thing that is love here? What is best? And so this is the work that God is doing in you, you and me. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you've been forgiven of your sins, he's doing this work. You may say the work hasn't progressed much, but the work has begun. You can say that much. The work has begun. It's going to proceed on and grow. And he's praying, and Paul prayed for the Philippians that he knew they had this love. And he's praying now that that love would grow. And he's praying now that they would learn better and better how to discern what is best, what is love. What is the right thing to do uh, in each situation? Because uh, what is right is what is love for God. What is love for God is what is right. Um, the, two, the two are the same. Um, and all this comes back to Ecclesiastes to say, what has eternal meaning and significance in your day? You just take, let's say, what's the dustiest day of the week? Oh, is it Thursday? I don't know. I, maybe it's Thursday. Uh, Thursday is just like the bottom. You're just scraping, you're scraping by, you know. Um, so, so let's thir- so on, on, on just a dusty old Thursday, an ordinary old Thursday. What are you going to do with that day? Why can there be any significance in that day? Not if you're going to work and I'm going to work because I want to make a name for myself and I want to be something and I want to uh, find meaning in people's praise of me and I want to find meaning in my achievements and I want to find significance in what I do and what people think about me and what, and if I enjoy this or don't enjoy it. No, it's where you find eternal significance is, can I, do I have opportunity today and the ordinary, very ordinary things that I do to love God through those ordinary things. To love God, to do, to do what is obedient to God and love God uh, in, these, in this ordinary life that I've, I've been given, just going through my day. What is best? By best, it doesn't mean what is the person who stands out from the crowd and they, they put themselves above ever. It's not like, you know, uh, the, the, the overachiever, the one, what is best? I'm going to do what is best. I'm going to do the thing that everybody else will be in awe of. No, no. I'm going to do what is so completely ordinary, and yet it is done out of love for Jesus. I do this. I choose to do this. I want to do this because I love Jesus, and the only reason I can do it is because Jesus loved me and because he already started the work in me. 
You're going to find your meaning and your significance in what God is doing in the world. This is what God is doing in the world. What he's doing in the world is forgiving our sins and, and working love in us and growing love in us. So whenever you're loving, you have connected with the very, the, the very, the thing that brings praise to God, the thing that brings glory to God, the thing that, um, the thing that shines, that has eternal, and these things have eternal significance. If you're giving a gift to God, he doesn't lose it. He doesn't misplace it. He doesn't throw it away. Now, you may have, your kids may have given you a lot of cards over the year, and you may have thrown them. I have a pile of cards in my office, a mile high of, of the cards that I've gotten from kids in the church. But, you know, when you, it's your own kids, the pile gets really, really high. And you may have thrown away a lot of those cards, but, but the cards that you give, the things, the acts of love that you give to Jesus, you give to God, they're never lost. They're never forgotten. They are of eternal significance. But the gospel is that they, he worked them in you. He did it. By forgiving you of your sins and by the, his work within you, he's the one. This is his work inside of you, something that he is doing. Um, i got to get back to my notes and find. There was one thing I wanted to say. Um, everything done in life has, uh, in love has eternal meaning and significance. Um, and this is, once again, one way you can see that this is all God's work in you is look at the very last phrase of verse 11. After he says all that thing about being grown in love and all that stuff and growing in knowledge so that you know what is best and what is love, he then says all of this is to the glory and praise of God. Why? Because it is all him by grace. It is all his work. It, he deserves the credit for all of it. When you're loving people, it's not something great that you've done. It's not something that you have achieved by, ooh, I, I understood love was the best, and so I went down the love path, and now I'm doing the love thing, and now I'm, and now I'm amazing to people, and people uh, want me to uh, uh, give talks, or people want me to, or people want to listen to my podcast or something. No, no, no. It's all the work of God. It's all grace. It's God's grace in you. It's to the glory and praise of God, the love working through us, which gives our life meaning. Uh, it's all to the glory and praise of God. It's all his work. It's something that he has done. And then we get the example of Paul, um, and, this, and then we'll do our second point here and end, is the example of Paul is, look at verse 20. Paul speaking. See, Paul, this happened to Paul first. He knows about it. Paul received forgiveness of his sins, and he, had God, and he had Jesus Christ, God, grow love in him. And so listen to what Paul says. Love for God and love for people. Look what he's, he's, Paul says this. I eagerly expect and hope. He said, and why does he say that? Not because he's confident in himself, right? Not because he, he, he's confident in his own thing. He's confident in God. He's confident in the Holy Spirit. He's confident in the work that God is doing. He says, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. That's what it's all about. That's where life has meaning. Loving God exalting Christ, lifting up God in the body, in, the very, in this very human, ordinary body, living for God, loving God, loving God by the things that you do with this body and the thoughts that you have with this body and the words that you speak with your, this body. That's the work. That's the work of God in you. And that, is, that has eternal weight and eternal significance. And he's saying, this is, this, is what Paul's, this is what Paul's life was all about. He said he's looking to the future, the rest of the life, however long till he, till he dies. He's saying, I, you know, that this is what's going to happen. And, and 
and now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So we can, Paul is, is, is an example to us of, of what it looks like uh, when a Christian is, trying, is, li- is living by love in God. The second point is this, and this connects back to Ecclesiastes as well, because you heard the whole, this continued repeat, one of the, one of the, the reason everything is meaningless is because of death in Ecclesiastes. The reason that, because everything gets stripped from you. When death comes, it says and says, oh, you, were, you had this great project, you achieved this and you achieved this, let me have that. Shh. Throw it away, gone. Forgotten in 10 years. Forgotten in one year for some of us. Forgotten in one week for some of us. Completely forgotten. Completely gone. It's off. This is the, this is the message of Ecclesiastes, that, that apart from God, these things that we do, they're gonna, when we die, they're going to be gone and we're going to be forgotten and all of it's going to be forgotten. And go away forever. And so death is a big theme in Ecclesiastes. But my second point, my last point today, is Jesus is working. I said first, Jesus is working in your life. Jesus is working in your death. Jesus is working in your death. This passage mentions two ways that Jesus is working in your death. Jesus will give you himself at death. Now, the, this, the secular view of, of life this secular view, this, this view of Ecclesiastes, the parts of Ecclesiastes that they're examining life without God, is saying that death is loss. Death is, there is no, and he keeps saying, there's no gain. Where is the gain? Where is the profit in all this stuff that I'm doing? But then what does Paul say? He says that to die is gain. To die is is gain to die the exact opposite of Ecclesiastes of, of the mess, this message of Ecclesiastes that we read this morning. To die is gain. Jesus will give you Himself at death. Death is not loss. Death is not meaninglessness. Death does not strip everything away. Death gives you something more than you ever had before. God, Jesus Christ. Death itself is the gaining of, now we're already in union with Christ. We already have the presence of Christ. But at death, you have Christ in a, in a new way. You have Christ in the fullest way, in this, in this powerful way um, that you did not have before, that Paul talks about in this passage. So, death, so Jesus is working in your death as well. Death is not the, oh, it's the end of all my great projects. It's the end of my pleasure. It's the diminishment of everything that I was. I'm going downhill. I'm going downhill. No, death is the great gain. Death is the great progress. Death is the thing where you will, um, death is the thing where you will finally get where you have been longing to go, which is to be with Jesus. Jesus will give you himself at death. Listen to this. For to me, verse 21, to live is Christ. And we already saw that, by the way. That's to live is Christ. He lives. When, if, he, if he has life, he lives for Christ. If he has life, he lives out of love for Christ. So to live is, is Christ. It is me living for Christ and loving Christ and, and doing everything for Christ. But to die is gain. And so, he, and so he contrasts the two. Listen to this life and death. This is the two parts of the sermon right here in 22 through 24. It's not in your bulletin, I just realized, so just listen or turn to it. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So first of all, he says, I know because God, Jesus is at work in me. If I'm still alive, as long as I'm alive, as long as I'm still in the body, I have fruitful labor. I have something fruitful to do. Not like Ecclesiastes, meaningless, empty, smoke, vanity, but something fruitful to do because we're doing it for Christ, for God. I have fruitful labor as long as I'm alive. But what else does he say? 
Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two, death and life. Now, how, how can someone be torn between death and life? How can they not have a hard time choosing? Well, over here, he sees fruitful labor and love for Jesus Christ, living for Christ. But over here, he sees, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Do we recognize the fact that the Apostle Paul wanted to die? He was willing to stay. He was willing to stay. He was willing to be here and do whatever job Christ had for him. Whatever, as long as he was alive, he had something to do. He knew Christ would have something for him to do. But he longed to go. He, longed, he said, I, I desire, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And so he could say, to die is gain. So, you're, so the death that is coming for you is not the destruction of you. It's not the destruction. It's not the, the stamp of meaninglessness and emptiness and all we do. Instead, death is the ultimate gain. Death is the receiving of Jesus Christ. Um, and then he says at the very end, he, 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 he believes at the very end that he has a few more months or years of life. And he says, but right now I think that it's more necessary for you, my church, that I remain in the body. I think Jesus has some more for me to do, but he longs to die. And then secondly, Jesus is working in your death. Jesus will give, him, give you himself at death. And secondly, Jesus will complete his work at death. Jesus will complete his work at death. And that's where we get this, 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 this idea in here. And we're going to close with this. The idea in here that before Jesus returns, when Jesus is going to return one day, um, if Jesus doesn't return and, you know, in the next hundred years, we'll all be dead, right? We'll all be dead. We'll all be buried and gone. Um, and, and if Jesus hasn't returned in those hundred years, we'll, we'll all be dead. And so when Christ returns, um, we'll be raised from the dead. But, but what will have already happened at that point is when we die and when we go to be with Christ, he perfects us. He glorifies us at that point. And so that work of love that we were talking about, Jesus is working in you. What is the work that God is doing in the universe? In every single Christian, he is working love and growing love in them more and more and more. And then at their death, he perfects that love. So that in heaven, um, of course, this, they're still coming. I'm not going to talk too much about the second coming today. But of course, the second coming is beyond death. And that's coming. And that's looked to in the future. I'm going to read it in a second. But death, at death, you are perfected. Uh, you are, the, the job is completed. And so you are all love. For God, you are, and, and so your life after death has the ultimate meaning. There's no, there's nothing meaningless in it at all. There's no emptiness in it at all. It is all love. You are living all the time in your spirit until the day of resurrection. You are living in your spirit, all in love, all in love for God. And then at the resurrection, you are raised and you live in the kingdom, in the body, in the resurrected body. But notice these two references to the day of Christ Jesus and what he says about them. And I'll close with this. Verse 6 and verse 10. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion or perfection. This work that he began by his initiative, by his grace, he will complete it. One day you will be all love, exalting God and exalting Christ in every thought. And this in heaven and then in the, in the new heavens and the new earth when Christ returns. You will be all 
uh, all love. You will be all love for God. Everything you do will be exalting God and exalting Christ. So that's your future. So you are ascending towards ultimate meaning, ultimate significance. This life has pockets of significance and meaning, and then pockets when you go away and you sin and it's empty and it's dead. But in that life, it will be all meaning. It will have all. The, that is our future. That is where we are headed, uh, this ultimate love. Uh, to be made all love and to be perfected. 